Welcome to Course Stories, produced by the Instructional Design and New Media Team of EdPlus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU Online designers and faculty. On today's course story... This is an incredibly powerful but open-ended platform where it's as good as the creativity you bring to it and helping students understand that within the limitations of the system, they can play and they can innovate themselves and they can learn for themselves how to get the most out of it. That then becomes transformational. Hi, I'm Mary Loader, an instructional designer from ASU Online. I'm Ricardo Leone. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Hey, Mary. And hey, Liz. Hey. Hello. How are you guys today? Good. Pretty good. What's going on today? We had a few great people at the university around generative AI join a conversation today. Generative AI is like a very hot topic. Mm-hmm. This will be a highly listened to episode, I have a feeling. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what's the course that we're focusing on this, this episode? Well, FIS 394 is an introduction to basic prompt g- engineering using specifically ChatGPT. So Andrew hosted this class for the very first time. And I think it's the first of its kind that was mm-hmm. hosted in like a really large public university this summer. Um, there were quite a few enrollments not only of like students who are fully enrolled here, but also staff who we're going to be hearing from in the episode as well, because we have access to these classes um, as ASU employees. So yeah. So who are who is Andrew and who are these people that we're going to be talking to? Andrew Maynard is, well, he's who I previously called the king of podcasting until it offended you. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he is a until wonderful- Until I defeated him at podcasting. <laughs> I, yes. Uh, he's a wonderful human being who has lots of insight into how technology integrates into our future. And who else did we talk to? We also talked to Marianne Newman. Uh, she works with the ASU library, and she has a really unique perspective being a librarian, especially her views on chat GPT, AI, and research, how it can help and how it doesn't help, mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating. And she also took not only uh, Andrew Maynard's course, but she also took the Gen AI course developed by Tamara, who we also spoke to today. And Tamara worked with lots of people across the entire university to put that course together. She was an excellent project leader, did a ton of work herself. Mm -hmm. This is a gorgeous course for faculty and staff at ASU. And while it's not available to everybody, we will put a link in our show notes because if you haven't gone into it or if you need to reintegrate because it came out just during a really busy time. Yeah. And um, it was all hands, all hands on deck. Oh, yes. You know, we we were involved in it. We were creating uh, video content for it. Writing content, revising content, helping others who were doing parts of it. I mean, it was just... Just anybody who was interested in helping was, you know, invited in to help. And then those who were helping, it was like, that was our sole focus of our life for Mm -hmm, the entire mm -hmm. summer. You guys got invitations. I was voluntold. You kind of get voluntold (laughs) to do a lot of things through the media team because, you know, you're offered up. You guys are so good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what happens when you're good. Yeah. <laughs> there's a punishment for doing a good job. It's or not a punishment. Like I it's forget. A, well, there's like a term that I get. There's a, an elevation of work. Okay. In yes. Case, that sounds good. That sounds good. And well, uh, so yeah, we're going to listen to a really good conversation. We want to jump right in, but also I want to billboard that the end of this episode, we've got a special treat, a special use of AI that Liz is going to talk about. 
Yeah. So stick around if you want to hear more about how to uh, deceive your in-laws <laughs> using chat GPT. I'll just leave that teaser. All we got right. tips from the experts. That was a good call to ask them those questions while they mm-hmm, were here. Mm-hmm. I made sure to join this podcast specifically to be a part of this conversation Smart. so mm-hmm. that I could uh, get some good, good prompt engineering feedback. Mm-hmm. We're all rooting for you. Thank you. I'm going to need it. All right. Well, welcome, you guys. Gals. Good to be here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a whole discussion around generative AI today, but specifically from a very unique perspective, because we have Andrew Maynard, Marianne Nauman, and Tamara Mitchell, who are all major contributors in different ways for generative AI around the campus. And not only do we have faculty perspective with Andrew, we have designer perspective with Tamara in a very unique way and student perspective with Marianne because she was a student in both of the courses that we're talking about today. So welcome. I'd like to have you guys just briefly introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are officially at the university and anything else that you'd like to add. Yes, my name's Andrew Maynard. I'm a professor of advanced technology transitions in the School for the Future of Innovation in Society, which basically means that I study how we get from here to the future without making a complete mess of things. And that covers everything from AI to any other technology you can imagine. Super important perspective when we enter the world of generative AI, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk more about that. And Marianne. Yes, uh, my name is Marianne Nauman. I'm an undergraduate instruction and assessment librarian at ASU. The group of librarians I work with primarily work with new students or those who are new to the academic journey, figuring out how to find and evaluate sources. So that's my specialty. Lovely. You've built a wonderful site that we'll plug later in the show notes as well, if you don't mind. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And Tamara, my course design bestie. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. My my name is Tamara Mitchell. I'm a senior instructional designer with ASU Online, and I have the privilege of working with a wide variety of faculty who are wrestling with the opportunities and challenges of AI. I also feel like this is kind of a full circle moment for me because uh, I would have to be about 10 years ago, seven years ago, I uh, developed a self-paced course in partnership with one of the leaders at IBM, who is part of the core team for developing Watson. And he said, watch out, things are coming. <laughs> 10 years later, we, we kind of see the ripples of that. And I know Watson isn't even the generative AI that we're talking about, but it's a, a shift toward the future. And I think we're experiencing another shift toward the future. Absolutely. Now, let's talk first with Andrew about the course that you developed this summer. So tell us about the course. Tell mm-hmm. us about why you decided to host the course. Sure. So this was an online course that taught students the basics of how to get the best out of ChatGPT specifically. We called it, I forget what the exact name was, but it was basics of prompt engineering using ChatGPT. And the prompt engineering here was not the coding that we used to think about as prompt engineering six, 12 months ago, but it was how you write those ordinary language prompts that enable you to get the platform to do what you want it to do. And we put this together 
actually in quite a hurry because we realized earlier this year that this was massively accelerating technology. It went from zero to a thousand miles an hour almost overnight, it seemed. And we were in a position where our students were already using it um, and we were scrambling to understand sort of what that meant. But more importantly, it seemed very, very clear that as they graduated, our students, in order to thrive, needed a set of skills around generative AI that we simply weren't teaching. And they also needed confirmation that they had those skills, so they needed something on their transcript. So we rushed to put together a course on teaching them the basics of, of how to do this and, and taught it for the first time this summer. But the course had a number of really intriguing aspects to it, one of them being that uh, formulate it fast. I literally sat down one evening in front of ChatGPT and said, hey, I want to teach a course about how to use ChatGPT. What should we teach? And <laughs> ChatGPT produced the bare bones of a syllabus, and we actually built it out from there. That's amazing. That's actually very similar to how Tamara and I worked <laughs> right. and many of the others worked when we were developing the generative AI course, right? ChatGPT right. was our first draft best friend. So fabulous. Now, the first draft was never the final draft, as Tamara can tell you from her hours right. of same, revision same work. Yes. But it was <laughs> so a good starting revisions. point. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Marianne, you were a student in this class with Andrew. What was your first impression coming into the class? And also, why did you take it? Yes. So in my role as a librarian, I'm really interested in when I saw the technology come out and seeing how it was impacting potentially writing skills, critical thinking skills, research skills, that one of the things that is really not um, where there was a huge gap was in the aspect of prompt engineering. How do we formulate searches in this area? Um, there are a lot of people who immediately jumped online and started to um, kind of pontificate about what prompt engineering was, um, filling that void um, for clicks and clout. And so I was really excited when I saw this course come up because one, I knew it was going to be taught by somebody who was thinking about it from the ethical perspective as well, but um, who would be able to guide us in that way. So I was really excited to take the course because of that. Awesome. Awesome. So what was your favorite assignment in the class? That's a bit of a pe pregnant pause there. <laughs> but were there any favorite it's, assignments? It's all of them. That's hard to say because there were a bunch of times, but I know there were a couple times where we were really getting into prompt engineering where we're talking about constraints, ambiguity reduction, some of the different strategies and creating templates where it started to click because you were using it in a more advanced way more frequently. So that was kind of the aha moment where you recognize that, okay, I'm getting this, I'm getting better output from the system, as well as then the modules about how do I assess what I'm getting out of it? How can I change my prompt based on what I'm seeing the output and the response from the generative AI system? So those were my favorite just because I it was that aha moment of, I think I'm kind of getting this where I'm doing a better job at um, querying the system and getting better responses. So Tamara, you in the generative AI course for our faculty and staff, you also were very focused on prompt engineering, how to help those who are in that prompt engineering space. What did you do in that course design consideration that you think would benefit maybe outside of our faculty and staff? Or I don't know, maybe there was an artifact created that we could share somewhere. So I think in the generative AI course, teaching and learning with generative AI course, that was our module four. And that was the module everybody wants to skip to because everybody wants to play with generative AI, don't they? They want to get into the trenches, they want to experiment, and they want to get some really important things from that work. It's it's funny though. And and um 
it's because it's funny because we have so many people who will go to ChatGPT per se and put in a prompt and say and have it you know spit out something that's nothing like what they wanted and they'll say oh the tool isn't great <laughs> so it's kind of like somebody walking over to a guitar that they've never seen before playing a note realizing it didn't make a song and then putting it down because they don't like it and so i think the first and most important thing i would say is that it's a skill and it's a literacy and it's something that we have never had to develop in the past and uh because we've had to develop it now uh, one of the biggest and I think the best tips that I've seen in, you know, Andrew's course where I looky lewd and then in the teaching and learning generative AI <laughs> course. <laughs> yes, I stalked you, Andrew, um, in the teaching and learning. <laughs> Can you say that? <laughs> yes, you I should say that. that. We were observers <laughs> if you want to use the professional name in Canvas. Yes, but I yes, we were full on stalkers. <laughs> professionally observed and learned from you. Um but I, I think one of the most important things that uh, is taught, uh, and I think that would benefit everyone, was number one, treating it like a conversation partner. If you can't show up with good information, your partner can't respond. Um, uh, being clear, number two, and number three, uh, one thing that Andrew does quite well uh, that we actually used with his permission in the teaching and learning with generative AI course was actually evaluating your prompts. And I'm sure we're going to get to get that a little bit later. But if you can do those three things, then you can refine and iterate and you can get better results and you'll have a better experience with generative AI. That is a really good perspective. Now, Andrew, how did you articulate that to your students when it came to prompt engineering in your class? Was there like a framework that you gave them or some step-by-step -step instructions? How did that work? There was. So, so to go back a step, we actually had a, a systematic approach to helping students understand what ChatGPT is and how to begin to use it. Um, so we built things up, uh, first of all, by ensuring that pretty much everything they did was within the ChatGPT environment. So they were building up their ChatGPT mental muscles, if you like, um, around it. But then we started off by giving them assignments that gave them a sense of what it can do, what it can't do, what the limitations are. We then went on to looking at the basics of how you sort of create prompts and how you create prompt templates. But the evaluation bit was really interesting because it was very clear that once they developed those skills in how to develop and how to write a fairly sophisticated prompt, they needed a framework with which they could assess the quality of that prompt and the quality of the response, and they could iterate around to make things better. So as we were developing this, again, I was working very closely with ChatGPT. Um, I, I asked, well, how do we do this? We've got to evaluate this. What's a really good way of doing it? And it came up with this framework, which we ended up calling the RACCA framework, R-A-C-C-C-A. -C 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 -A. Um, please don't ask me to say what that stands for, because it's... <laughs> I can read it off if uh, you, we need yeah, to. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I've got I've got two, two experts here. But the, the key thing is that um, ChatGPT came up with these six criteria, which I'll let you read off in a, a second, uh, which made sense. So we, we worked around sort of how we would apply that. Uh, but then the thing that, that blew me away was in this conversation, ChatGPT started abbreviating it as RACA without any prompting. So it became the RACA framework, which stands for, now you can read it off. Well, let's have Marianne read it off because she might be able to do it rote. Uh <laughs> R for relevance, we've got A for accuracy, C for completeness, C for clarity, uh, C for coherence. Mm -hmm. I always forget the third C. Yes. And then A for appropriateness. <laughs> yes. 
Awesome. And we'll put all of that into the show notes as well. I think you created a video on Raka. Would you be okay with us sharing oh, that? Absolutely. Yes. So we, we have an introduction video to, to the Raka framework. Um, and yes, it actually ended up being a very useful framework. I would say you can see how poor my memory is, which is why I need ChatGPT. <laughs> it took me about 20 takes with that video, even to sort of get the sequence right on it. So I can talk about Raka, but it's very hard without working with ChatGPT to remember the specific things until you're beginning to apply that framework. Well, it's common to know how things make you feel without being able to recall all the specifics of how you got <laughs> right. to that feeling. So that's very resonant. Uh, thank you for letting us share that because I think it's probably one of the better artifacts for both courses because it's something that we're all looking for. Like, how do we mindfully yep. use generative AI to to properly, ethically associate this within our world? And I would say on top of that, so the Racker framework isn't the only one um, that there is out there or that you can use. But the critical thing is bringing that process to things where you evaluate what the output is like and the outcomes are like, and you engage your own brain in determining whether it's fit for purpose and if not, how you're going to change that. Absolutely. Okay, so this is an acronym being used. Is it RACA? RACA. R-A-C-C-C-A, I think. Yeah, three Cs. Can you guys unpack that for me a little bit? So in our review of key terms in the generative AI course, this is how it comes across. And by the way, this was written in part by ChatGPT, uh, Mm. not only because that's how Andrew made the framework, but because then we use ChatGPT also to reiterate it and give it to us in... um, as concise way as possible. So the acronym represents a method to evaluate generative AI outputs created by Andrew Maynard at ASU in partnership with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And so R stands for relevance, and that is to the extent which a response directly addresses the issue or question. So is it relevant to what you prompted? So like, a, really, let's break this down. So yeah. what, what does that mean? Like, so in, in terms of my prompts, yeah. I'm going to consider the relevance so I'm going to make well, the sure that I put relevance because this is evaluating. Oh, this is evaluate. Okay. Right. So is what you put in there? Did it get you what you expected back mm-hmm. in reference to? Does it make sense mm-hmm. for what you were trying to accomplish around your issue or question? Mm-hmm. And then there's accuracy. That's a mm-hmm. the degree to which the response provides accurate, reliable, or fact-based information. And that was actually part of why Marianne was taking this class was because she wanted to make sure if we're using ChatGPT in that student space, mm-hmm. them using it as a research tool was probably not an accurate usage, mm-hmm. but it can give ideas on how you might go about your research mm-hmm. or using research skills that the librarians can help you learn. Um, you can then gauge the accuracy using really basic digital competencies like how who's actually saying this message where did this come from and with mm-hmm. ChatGPT, you don't get citations i mean you can right, ask right. for them and how get the wrong ones out, right? yeah. they're not actually sourced that way mm-hmm. in the large language model so you need to go and actually fact checked and double check that the same thing that chat gpt is telling you mm-hmm. is being said in other spaces that are reliably tracked and cited and you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, this this methodology for evaluating kind of reminds me of some of the other methodologies that already exist in higher mm-hmm. education, um, SIFT, other ways that we can evaluate the research that we're looking at, the mm-hmm. sources that we're evaluating. Um, I work a lot with our English 101, 102 students. So that's a huge part of doing the research is evaluating what you're looking at for mm-hmm. its accuracy, for its relevance. Mm-hmm. But it also reminds me of the big scare of Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah. it first came out, people were like, oh, you can't trust Wikipedia. People still say that. They do. But I feel like much like Wikipedia, ChatGPT is going to turn into a ideation 
beginning the research mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spot. And I think that this RACA methodology uh, structure is going to be a helpful way to help students learn how to work with the robots, not against them. Mm-hmm. And th- that's one of the things that, that Andrew kind of uh, kept going back to. Because we have this new tool doesn't mean that, that we, we still need to scrutinize what we're looking at. And he, he mentioned that, you know, just in any technology and also just in people in general, you still have to scrutinize and, and kind of vet uh, the information that you're getting from anyone. Yeah, it seems like critical thinking around what you're hearing, what you're learning mm-hmm. is more important than ever. Yeah. Let's get, what are those three C's now? What you're learning is more important than ever. That's a good transition to completedness. So the completeness of the response, does the degree to which the response uh, was given, how, does it cover all the essential aspects of the topic or question being asked? Right. Because I put in prompts before and I thought, well, you didn't reference this other thing that I asked you to reference. So yeah. that is, you that is, bring it up again. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's a constant refinement process, right? Right. And then the clarity, how easily the response can be understood by the intended audience. So I've had that, right? So you um, give me a write up for this letter, but then I didn't actually articulate who the audience is. Mm -hmm. And then when you articulate, no, the audience is a bunch of five-year-olds. Okay. Well, it's going to be said very differently Mm -hmm. than how that first draft was. Mm -hmm. So priming the model is very important as well, Mm -hmm. making sure that it understands everything that you're looking for before you're trying to get it. So back to completeness, Mm -hmm. clarity of what you're looking for helps you also accomplish completeness. Mm -hmm. And then coherence, the extent to which the response is logically structured and well-organized and flows smoothly from one point to the other. Mm. Uh, I think that's pretty nice in chat GPT. There's like a conversational history. So that coherence is pretty easily built in through an ongoing conversation, but it does have to be ongoing mm-hmm. to continue to refine it. And then the last yeah. one's appropriateness, how well the response aligns with the intended audience and context and is suitable and respectful in tone and content mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that bias exists. And so knowing what the biases are and how individuals take certain things like that, um, the model itself, it's burstiness and perplexity, like how it actually talks is very wordy, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So if you're not refining it for certain audiences, it gets very um, liberal with its language flow. And it's like, kind is of that a bad normal? writer, right? Yeah. In, in my experience, it's kind of a bad writer. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's, padding the audience. Yeah. Like anytime I get something, it's way longer than it needs to be, but right. it's fine for a first draft. Mm-hmm. But then refining it, the appropriateness, yeah, you don't need to you know, try to sweeten up the message mm-hmm. for every single person you're mm-hmm. talking to. That's inauthentic. Okay. So, so you get a response and now you've, you've applied this criteria to see if it was a good response, but you need to make some refinements. What are you doing when you're making that refinements? Are you telling it good on these points, bad on this? How, how do you refine? Are you just coming up with a new prompt? Sometimes I'll say thank you very much because we should always thank our overlords ahead of time before they take over and mm-hmm, be very polite mm-hmm. to them. They remember. Then, oh, I think yeah, about they that all the time. Someone who yells at their cell phone for being an Absolutely. idiot. Absolutely. I yell that, at Siri a lot and I'm sure she remembers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always polite to my, my. I should be more polite to Siri. Uh, that's a good reflection for me. But with ChatGPT, like I just honestly. Um, I do put that human aspect into it. And I know there are people who don't believe you should do that, Mm -hmm. but it's just like a common way to respond. So anyway, I'll start it with, thank you very much. That was a great response. However, I was actually looking for this and then it'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Cause it's also super play. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll come up with the refined approach. So yeah, that's really common. Is that what the question was? Wow. Yeah, just just how how you're you know so you're giving it a new prompt rather than 
telling it to build off its last prompt. Sometimes I'm asking it to build off its last prompt. Like for this course, when we were building them, Tamara did a great job of laying out like ABC. This is in every single module. This is the stuff we need. So I copy and pasted her template in there to prime my GPT. And I'm like, and then this is the topic. Give me some potential opportunities to like fill in the blanks of the template. And it would every single time. And then if it got it a little bit better in one of the other prompts, I'd be like, refer to this specific one when doing the rest of these. And then it refined it every single time. So yeah, absolutely building on the conversation and building on the prompt and priming. Just say chat because you said chit. You did. <laughs> chit? Chit GPT. Yeah. Chit, chat, chat GPT. Yeah. My words. You're 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 not prompt. Your 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 response. Someone is, needs to prompt my brain with yeah. food. I'm hungry. <laughs> I mean, how many students did you have in your class? Seventy two students plus lurkers. <laughs> and there were a lot of us lurkers. Right. I kept adding people. Like Andrew, is it okay if I just keep adding as many as we want? Um, so from that, from the seventy two students, how many assignments did you have to grade? A crazy amount. I thought I was putting together an easy course. Um, there were um, individual assignments across those 72 students, a little under 3,000. Out of those, Whoa. there were a little over 2,300 conversations between individuals and ChatGPT oh my that gosh. I read through. You so read them all? I read them all. Well, wow. I skinned them all. Um, That's fair. But the thing was, yes, it was a lot of work, but it gave me an incredible insight into how people were engaging with the platform and how they were using it. And how were they using it? They were using it in many, many different ways that I didn't expect. And what I saw through many of those conversations was how ChatGPT sparked their curiosity and critical thinking. Uh, rather than it, it just dulling their, their brains, it lit them up. And you could see it in terms of the questions they asked. It goes back to this idea of conversations. The conversations were rich. They were deep. They went in directions I didn't expect. They covered topics that I didn't expect. I had students having long conversations around um, how to synthesize different types of plastics and the chemistry behind them, stuff that I didn't know, but stuff that they actually got a lot of, of detailed information from where they could validate and test that information, then carry on the conversation. Interesting. So yes. what was the validation mechanisms in those conversations that you noticed that you thought that was a good, sure. good it, way to do it? It was much of it was was typical approaches to critical thinking, where if you get a piece of information, um, you work out what feels like it's it makes sense, what aligns with what you already know, what maybe doesn't align. And then the next question you ask is based on sort of where those alignments are or disalignments are. So you had students push back a little bit or say, can you explain this a little bit more? Or what is, what is your reasoning behind what, uh, what you said? Um, and the really interesting thing about this platform is that it can simulate reason. It can tell you why it comes up with a response. Interesting. And sometimes it will tell on itself, right? Like it'll say, well, I had to tell you something. So, <laughs> Oh, it does. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very endearing the way it sort of either sort of corrects itself or apologizes or says, well, this is what I was told to say. It also has some pretty interesting safety features. I, uh, over spring break, I was um, showing my youngest daughter to use ChatGPT to do kind of an educational scenario that I had her feed in as a prompt. And uh, it was based off of Harry Potter. So maybe there was copyright there. I don't know, but it's personal. So, uh, but she was trying to convince the uh, ChatGPT to let her go chase the Dementors into the dark forest. And it kept telling her it wasn't safe and it wouldn't allow that action. And 
And so she had to reason with ChatGPT to explain, and she learned how to reason through what was safe and what was not safe because of the conversation, which was an unintended result, but it was a nice safety feature that it has. So not, I love not a that bad story thing. too. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a fun mom. I love that. <laughs> um, from the perspective of the student, Marianne, were there any conversations that you had with ChatGPT from the outcomes of the assignments you were given that surprised you or where you learned deeper skills? So most of my focus in the class was very, very narrow. So I looked at it as to inform my position and my role as an instruction librarian in working with uh, first-year students who are learning how to do research and learning that it goes beyond finding information to exploring and, and building knowledge and understanding um, so I focused mostly on that. And when I got to some of the more sophisticated prompts, as I got better at it, um, I was starting to see where it could be very useful for students. So I would start to get responses that would um, approximate what talking to a librarian or talking to your instructor might be. And so I got very excited about that. So. You created uh, an artifact that you shared in our generative AI course. Would you talk about that? This was a result of the work you did in Andrew's class. Is that correct? Yes. Um, sure. So one of the things that is lacking out there at this point are really what I thought were decent um, academic focused prompts to help students or learners through the research process. Um, rather than asking ChatGPT to write a paper for you or to find you sources, what is the role it could play in being a brainstormer, being a partner? And so I started to develop prompts in that way, um, focusing in on those composition classes that we work very closely with, kind of identifying where students get stuck in the process, whether it's from needing to do a lot of pre-search before jumping into academic sources Maybe that's learning what kind of words or jargon they might not might need to use when they're going into databases um, to search for academic sources. That was my focus. And, you know, it was really interesting to come at it also as an expert in search, but a novice in this and having that intellectual humility. And I think it's super important and being able to kind of embody that space where students are, where they're learning how to use the tool for the first time. So I'm not sure if that kind of gets to your Definitely question, gets to it. but, you know, I, I really looked at the assignments and the kind of work that students would need to be doing and tried to generate prompts that people could just pull from that would guide them through that process. So rather than asking basic questions it would lead students to asking ChatGPT, for example, the questions that would have it respond back and kind of guide the, some conversation. So, do you plan to share those prompts on your library kit? Yes. Is that how we should be referring to it? The library guide. <laughs> Our library, library guide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fabulous little site that you've put together. I think a great resource for all instructors to share in their courses, especially if they need a little assistance with how they might use ChatGPT in their course. It might be good to review that resource. I just wanted to say, I really love what we're talking about when I hear Andrew mentioning, uh, you know, how he can help his students actually learn more with these prompts. And then we we have this wonderful library guide to prepare students for research. research. And that's kind of, uh, I think the best part about that, I think it goes back to Mary, maybe a conversation that we had, I think at the end of last week where we were talking about, there's a lot of concern about using generative AI that students will become, uh, you know, 
over-dependent on the tool or that they won't think critically when in fact it actually requires to use the tool properly, you have to be on the higher level of blooms and have critical thinking and be on the evaluate level so that you can uh, actually uh, look at your response and then t- change the way you communicated, uh, fill in the gaps of the information that you should have provided anyway, and then make uh, decisions about refining what you're doing. And I, I think that's exciting for educators because that means that we're capable of doing so much more in classes, helping our students to go from just rote memorization to the identify level all the way up to more of a creative level and an evaluate level uh, with fewer resources and with lower course course costs. So it's, it's, it's kind of an exciting time to be in. Absolutely. I do want to highlight that I think it would really work well at scale based on the model that you used, Andrew, and the prompt refinement questions that you included in some of your assignments. Could you talk about that? Yes. Um, so with a proviso here. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, this is a system that could um, help us to scale up learning massively. Um uh, if we create the right environments. And certainly what we did with prompt refinement, um, we helped our students understand how you start off with a simple prompt and see what you get, but then how you begin to either refine the prompt or refine the conversation so you get much richer information coming back, specifically in that realm of brainstorming ideas, developing your own understanding um, in a partnership. So that's where this now becomes a personalized learning environment that you can put out there at scale. But the proviso is students have got to be able to understand when to trust what they get, when not to trust it, and when to push back. If they don't have that level of digital literacy, they're not going to, well, A, they're not going to get what they need out of the system, but also the system becomes potentially dangerous as it pushes them in directions which aren't that helpful. So then the question comes, how do we develop that level of digital literacy, that generative AI literacy in our students so that they can thrive with these tools? Any suggestions? Well, um, Starting to teach courses like this is a really good way of doing it. Um, but beyond that, I, I think this isn't just a single course. This is a set of competen- competencies that should be universal in higher education these days. If we're going to equip our students to either learn in class using these tools or learn on their own just through their own curiosity, they've got to have that toolkit. And, and that means... In- both incorporating it into a wide array of courses, but also giving them the tools that where they can independently develop these skills. Any suggestions on what these competencies could be? I, w- I was just going to say, you know, something that's really interesting about that is um, we are constantly telling our students ever since the onset of the, the World Wide Web to challenge what they read online. Uh, now we have to challenge and, and ask critical questions about what we read in the newspaper or what we read on the pho- our phones. And so what's interesting is, is we're not asking students to do anything new. We're asking them to do it at a higher level and we're asking them to do it in a better way. And so we're using ChatGPT or other generative AI tools to not only teach them to do something that we need them to do anyway in a digital and technologically advanced world, but we're also giving them the tools to support that. So I think that's what's exciting. I would absolutely agree. Um, And if we approach it in that way, helping students understand, well, first of all, breaking the barriers down so they're comfortable actually using these tools, but then helping them understand how to navigate what they get out of them and how to have those conversations then becomes very empowering. It's it's 
almost like, almost but not quite like when students first come to university in their, their first year maybe, and they have access to all these incredible instructors, and yet they don't know necessarily how to engage with them. They don't know how to go and ask questions and learn through those conversations. And that's a skill that they need to develop. They need to do exactly the same with generative AI. Agreed. And this really gets to the new design principle, right? Principled innovation. Mm-hmm. So how we engage, why we engage um, is very important to consider. Absolutely. There was recently a release of uh, an internal generative AI option through ChatGPT, the one that you were talking about, the enterprise integration potentials. Do you yes. want to talk about that? Because that's kind of new. I mean, it might not be new when this episode comes out in no, a few weeks. But, but as of today, it's it's brand new. So Despite all of the huge potential of not only ChatGPT but other large language models, um, there is a problem, and that is a problem of accessibility. And so if in education and learning we embrace these, we run the risk of only those students that have access to the systems really being, being able to benefit. So for instance, in my course, we use ChatGPT+, which is the paid version, which meant every student needed to be paying $20 a month to complete that course. And we did that because it felt like this was the equivalent of a textbook, but not every student can afford that. So now immediately, if you have classes where some students are using advanced generative AI and some aren't, there's a a digital divide there. Um, And the way to get around that, or one of the ways to get around that is for places like ASU to ensure that everybody has access to these powerful tools. Up until now, that wasn't possible with ChatGPT because they didn't have an enterprise model. That has just been announced, which means that higher education institutions can buy into it in ways that both protect their students, they protect their privacy, they protect their data, but they give them access to incredibly powerful tools across the board. So you no longer have that digital divide because people can't afford to access the system. There is still a digital divide in terms of the the mentality where students will or won't engage with these technologies, and that's where digital literacy comes in. But at least we're removing potentially one of those barriers. So that brings us back to the digital literacy competencies. Mm -hmm. What competencies would you label (laughs) that students need to have, that that everybody really needs to have, not just students? So I think we're still feeling our way here. This is very early days. Um, But I would certainly have um, one of those understanding the limitations and the benefits and the power of the system. So students go in with open eyes and realize that systems like ChatGPT will lie to them. They will hallucinate. So they can't trust everything. At the same time, realizing that through the process of conversation, they can glean new knowledge from it. That's an incredibly important skill. And of course, that ties in with critical thinking, how you evaluate everything you you learn and hear. But beyond that, I think there's also a, a critical skill around curiosity and experimentation. This is an incredibly powerful but open-ended platform where it's as good as the creativity you bring to it. And helping students understand that within the limitations of the system, they can play and they can innovate themselves and they can learn for themselves how to get the most out of it that then becomes transformational. I love that curiosity and exploration is now part of our digital competencies. There we are, yes. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Marianne, how about from your perspective, from the research perspective, what did you come away with that course going, okay, now this is how I'll articulate a literacy that I need to ensure our students have? 
I think I actually came a little bit, a little bit more hopeful that it could be used in the research process than I was initially um, going into it, playing around with ChatGPT or playing around with Bing or Bard. It's not a great tool for research at this point. Um, the fact that you cannot trust accuracy of the sources that you're getting, that there's no way to know what the training data is that the system is based off of, knowing that there are inherent biases underlying the training data. There are huge issues there that um, as an academic librarian, I kind of get a little bit nervous about students relying upon technology that hands them answers or um, allows them to think that the system is neutral when it's not. Um, so I have, I mean, it, it goes back to basic information literacy, basic um critical thinking about what are the sources that I'm getting? Can I trust this? Being skeptical, trust but verify. So, Trust yeah. but verify. I like that. So let's talk about that bias for a moment. What have you heard? What have you noticed? What have you heard through the grapevine exists around bias? What should our students know? They should know that just like talking to people, there are inbuilt biases to chat GPT. Some of those biases arise from the data it was trained on, um, and they reflect human biases and human foibles in those big data sets. Um, and we're actually finding out that because some of those data sets are skewed, that actually enhances the bias. Um, so great care needs to be taken there in understanding um what comes out of the system and or what those implicit biases might be. There's actually a second level of bias, which comes from the training. So OpenAI have trained ChatGPT to respond in certain ways and put certain guardrails in place, which is good, but it also still brings a bias to the responses. Um, that, to me, is okay, because everything around us has those implicit biases, but you've got to be aware of them. You've got to be sensitive to them and understand either how to counter them or navigate them. And that comes back to another set of skills that, that students need. If they just absorb without thinking what they get out of chat GPT, it will put them in a worse place rather than a better place. I like that. So now digital literacy also includes consciousness. <laughs> Coming out of your unconscious bias and being it, it more does. conscious you know, of your bias. But, but this isn't a bad thing. And it extends way beyond just dealing with generative AI. That's that ability to sort of test and evaluate what you hear and not necessarily reject it in a black and white way, but understand sort of what the influences might be in terms of what you're getting and actually using your own cognitive power and ability to untangle the threads there and make sense of things. Excellent. Tamara, did you have anything to add in reference to digital literacies there or even the things that you've noticed from your own use or from observing the use of others? That's a good question. Um, I First, I, I love listening to these two experts because <laughs> I go to, I'm thinking, oh, we should say this. And then it said, so uh, I hear here and I agree, <laughs> but I would also just kind of take a different perspective on the uh, the limitations. And I think that that might be a bit in line with what Andrew was just saying. Um, this tool was created by society and for society. And because of that, it has society's limitations, limitations that we're not proud of in terms of social justice, in terms of bias, in terms of um, you know, not necessarily exchanging factual information 
Uh, and these things are existent and, and we do need to deal with these anyway. And so uh, having some sort of prompt literacy nowadays is just about having social literacy. It's not something that we can untether from who we are and what we need our students to be, to be thought leaders and um, innovators and pioneers in the future to making a better society. And so I think sometimes these tools like generative AI elicit and bring up all of these issues, but they didn't create them. And we certainly need to address them. Uh, and so it's, I, I look at it as an opportunity to address them. And, uh, you know, I, I think one last thing <laughs> I've seen, I've seen uh, students learn really well from generative AI when they do take the approach that this is an initial way to begin to think about information and to see what's out there and challenge it and then do fact finding or fact checking on their own. Um, so I think that if you pair natural skills valued by higher education and society with the use of these generative AI tools, I think you'll get further faster. I love that. And I love that because this is like the age of Aquarian, right? That is that is unknown will be known. And now we have to deal with it. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to deal with our issues, but it's important that we do, which again goes back to principled innovation and our moral responsibility. Right. Right. And then considering the civic duty of understanding our cultures, understanding our students, how they're going to use these systems is extremely important. I will share the Principled Innovation link in the show notes as well, because I think it's a fabulous resource that was created by ASU. And I, it would be great for anyone to read through before you start thinking about how you might use ChatGPT or any other generative AI platform in your course or integrate it at the enterprise level, right? There's a lot of conversations around digital trust and how are we as a large university one of the largest public universities going to model how this is used outside of our uh, university because it will be influential. Yep. And I would say that taking that principled innovation approach also begins to address the, the elephant in the room around cheating. And of course, as soon as ChatGPT became a big thing, there were all these concerns about students seeing it as a shortcut to surviving and thriving courses without putting in the effort. I think the evidence is that that isn't actually as big an issue as, as people thought it was for a number of reasons. Um, but it also is something that I think that we're being forced to think about. And what intrigues me is it's forcing us as instructors to think about what we're trying to achieve through education and what learning actually means and what the outcomes are that we want versus just sort of ticking the boxes as we teach. I think we'll be able to achieve more through education because of these tools, which is very, very interesting. Um, I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't know about you guys, but you probably heard concerns about academic integrity and, and cheating and, and things like that. And it's very interesting because they're so, um, they're, they're accurate but also uh, generative AI didn't, didn't, cheating did not start and academic integrity issues did not start with generative AI. <laughs> they just could be extirbated by it if we don't teach our students correct use of tools. Um, and so I, I kind of wonder what everyone thinks, Mary, you too, uh, about uh, when it comes to addressing academic integrity concerns, how, how, you, how you teach students and how you help faculty understand a proactive way to address these things. 
I guess I'll start with the Cheaters Never Prosper pamphlet that we have at AC Online, which we'll also share. Um, and that really gets down to where there's a will, there's a way. Yep. So don't focus on those who have the will necessarily. Yep. Um, maybe figure out why they have that will. Right. Is I, it too many assignments or, you know, cognitive s- overload? See, that, and, and that to me is critical. Um, again, if we think about education as a series of rewards and punishments, of course, people are going to work out how to get the rewards and avoid the punishments. It's a really bad way of teaching. On the other hand, if we think about what learning are we trying to um, give our students, um, what do we want them to be able to do at the end of it? That opens up the pathway to seeing the, the way forward without thinking about how we how are we going to punish them if they don't do what we want. Um, and what we are finding, not only myself, but others with the use of generative AI, is if you create a pathway toward learning where it's actually easier for them not to use generative AI to cheat than it is to actually do the learning, it's a win-win situation. And just to give you an example of that, in the ChatGPT course, most of the stuff was based in ChatGPT, but we had a few assignments where students either had to write reflections or create videos. Um, and I was worried at one point that because they were well-versed in ChatGPT, I was going to have a load of written reflections that were just generated by ChatGPT. No, not at all. And I didn't. Um, and I'd love to sort of see whether this matches sort of what it was like as a student. But my sense was students wanted to have a voice and they wanted when they were writing their reflections for those reflections to reflect what was going on in their head. They didn't want a machine to do that for them. So the path of least resistance was for them not to use ChatGPT. And that worked incredibly well. And that kind of gets to uh, a resource that Tamara and some of our other colleagues very intentionally produced this last session, and I think is actually in the Generative AI course. Tamara, do you mind talking about that? Oh, um, it's the Academic Integrity Risk Reduction Guide. And it's a, yes. it's a process and it's a series of questions that help you to determine what the risks are in your course and how to use course design decisions to address them even before students enter the course. And so um, I, 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 we have received feedback that it's quite long. So we, we need to emphasize <laughs> that, that it's a... It's There's 50, a lot to talk about. <laughs> did, did, did you have people cheating so, to try and get to the end of it? Yes, right. So for the next two hours, we'll be talking about this guy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, we do like to say that this is a reference resource. The same way you wouldn't sit down and you wouldn't read the dictionary from cover to cover. You would look in alphabetical order and find the word that you need, learn the definition and move on. This guide was intended to be comprehensive in a way that would allow you to look at a, a categorical issue that you're expecting, uh, experiencing, ask yourself a question, and then have probably 10 different solutions for addressing that one single issue that you could easily try in your course. And then you can kind of use that as almost like the scientific method. You, you've got a hypothesis, you think this is the issue, implement this one strategy. Does it address the issue? Does it not address the issue? It did. That's fantastic. So um, it's it's a, a wonderful tool because it assumes that we are constantly learning and that our courses are constantly changing and the needs of our learners are changing. And so to make course revisions to help our learners to be more engaged in the course studies and reduce academic integrity risks is the whole goal of the guide. So, um, and then at the and end, I do it want teaches to plug you- those six categories too, because that I think if people know like this is what you cover, they might just go to that category, and then it's not as overwhelming. That's very true. 
That's very true. Do you want me to plug the six categories or? Absolutely. Or I have them up and I can read them either way. Yeah. Do you want to read them? That's fine. So the first one's course materials, which I think everybody's a little bit worried about with generative AI. Um, Course tools, course activities and collaboration, assessment design. That'll be the most visited space. I have a feeling. I wish we could track that. Uh, Course expectations and instructions and then feedback and student support. So you were really very comprehensive in your consideration of all of the different ways that generative AI, well, not just generative AI, because this is not just generative AI focused. I think we should say that as well. But many ways that academic dishonesty can show up in a course. Very intentional. And that it can be extirbated by using tech, uh, higher level technology if you're not careful. So definitely the consideration was for first and foremost, the academic integrity overall, and then also addressing it with technology, which is nice because the last part of the guide is specifically designed to harness the power of generative AI. Um, I think we've got an AI versus AI webinar coming up. And I think that the idea that you can you can fight AI with AI by using it properly, I, I think that's kind of a nice nice approach. And it's possible because of the magic of podcasting that this podcast will come out after that webinar. But if you do want access to that, <laughs> just reach out. We can get you access. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's so it's fine. I, I'm excited for your webinar. It's going to be a fabulous opportunity to have conversations with faculty on the real concerns that are happening, but also talk about how to use this risk reduction guide in a very meaningful way to help alleviate concerns and maybe put people in that explorative, experimentative, curiosity space around how these generative platforms are going to change our society and therefore change the way our disciplines will interact with society and what we need for student readiness before they leave our university. I was really like on the edge of my seat the whole time waiting for the negative impacts from your perspectives in your experience working with these things, what do you guys anticipate would be the, because I I feel like this course, the generative AI course was a response to faculty kind of being worried about the the kind of negative impacts of this technology. Yeah, I think the big surprising part, not only about using and exploring chat GPT, but also this conversation was that there wasn't actually, there was a lot of hesitation going into it and mm-hmm. into explorations with chat GPT. There was kind of a, an initial response to ignore, avoid, um, try to shun the robots from uh, coming as a part of our uh, higher education landscape. But I think everyone actually found that it was more helpful that it was actually um, that students were using it for good, not for evil. Mm-hmm. They were using it to get ideas and that afterwards, when reflecting, that they were more excited to share their own thoughts and opinions mm-hmm. and they weren't actually using chat GPT for academic dishonesty purposes and that it's more of a help than a harm in a lot of ways. And honestly, early on, we were hearing from faculty that those students who were using ChatGPT were actually telling their faculty members, hey, I use this. Is that okay?" And some of them are like, I don't know if it's okay." But it really comes down to instructor decision making. Right. And I think that's what I really love about Arizona State's model here is that, yes, there's some syllabus language that the provost office was able to provide. Yes, there's this generative AI course, but it really takes deep internal reflection on What does this new way that society interacts with technology mean to all kinds of spaces? The disciplines that we teach, the jobs that are being created, the jobs that are potentially 
disappearing or changing dramatically because Mm -hmm. the mundane work can be done in different ways. It's going to make us better. Like I think that was actually said in the conversation, it's going to make us better. But primarily the things that I'm hearing about that are worrisome are the ways that the models have been fed information. So one of the examples in the generative AI inscribe course, so if you haven't gone in, you can see this, was um, an example of a woman who was like, I need an image of of a professional. And it ended up being a white woman, even though the person prompting it was of Asian descent. And so it's like, that is a concern that our models, especially our image models, have Mm -hmm. limited data based on biased perspectives of what we think certain people look like. And so feeding those models a diverser set is Mm -hmm. an important thing. So having the opportunity to feed the models more intentionally, curate the models more intentionally, if we get access that way, I think it's going to change the game. And it also will change, and this was said too, the social dynamics of like, how we see things and correcting the historical way of how things were reported. I think that's so interesting because that kind of goes back to good prompt engineering. We need to feed the information so that we can give better prompts and feed, you know, feed the robot with a more more information so we get better, more diverse results that are actually reflective of real people versus what the internet thinks it is. And real occurrences, because it will give you a citation if you ask for it, but it's very likely and almost always not accurate. We had this example in the School of Historical, Philosophical, and Religious Studies. Jeff Watson came out of that college. He also gave a lot of content from a conversation he had with Deanna in the Generative AI course. But Mm -hmm. he and many others at his school hosted this session last semester. And one of their examples for their fellow peers that were in attendance was one of the guys who was in there. He writes on a specific topic and they were like, find one of the books from this individual. And then it came up with a title that seemed very relevant to his study. And he's sitting in the room and he's like, wow, that sounds like a book I would have written, but I did not write that book. And it was just such a good moment for everyone to go, yikes. So citations is a place where it will not do well. And if we could, again, curate intentionally and provide citations, then what a great collegial resource these kinds of experiences could be if that's how the models were intended to work. Yeah, I think it's a great stepping stone for hesitant students. I think a lot of people in our conversations, a lot of people that I've either talked to outside of our podcast today are actually more excited to integrate it and tell students how to use it and almost train students on the best way to utilize the tool while also maintaining academic integrity. So I think that the more people look into it, the less concerns they have about academic integrity are and the more they're excited to see how this can help students be better. We've gotten a lot of good responses from faculty. Some of them have been through our survey with uh, high levels of numbers, you know, out of one to four rate this with four being the highest. We have so many fours, which is wonderful and so much good constructive feedback. But then we also have things being shared outside of the university. And this is one of my favorite quotes from that's being shared publicly outside the university. It's from a professor who said, I have to admit that as someone who has experienced academic integrity issues, I had more of a negative feeling toward generative AI at first. And since I've been gone, I I felt overwhelmed in terms of teaching. And she said, the only thing I did know was that generative AI was transforming higher education Uh, which was the most powerful transformation after that due to COVID-19. However, after going through this course and many other resources and discussions, I experienced how powerful generative AI can be 
and already have some ideas to not only integrate it into the curriculum, emphasizing student critical thinking and the iterative and collaborative process with generative AI, but also to utilize it in various aspects of my own teaching, from developing and refining my curriculum and designing assessments, or even to just draft messages and feedback to students to generating images for slides. So now I'm feeling very excited about the potential and all the opportunities that it brings. And so that to me, if we want one person to get something out of the course, that's that's what we hope they'll get out of it. That generative AI is something to address and be aware of, but it's exciting. Well, I do want to say thank you for the opportunity to talk to everyone. Before we go, does anyone have anything they want to plug? We have the library guide. Is there a short link for that? Um, not that I can think of right now. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> We're going to put it in the show notes. The short link is go to teach online. <laughs> Andrew, how about you? You have a lot of things to plug. Please, the oh, whole goodness list. Me. Yeah, so if anybody is interested in the exercises we do in the ChatGPT course, uh, most of them are available on my website, which is just andrewmaynard.net. Um, so you can go and check them out there. But the other thing I, I would say, and you see this through all of my writings around ChatGPT and generative AI, is if you think you know what it's about, but you've never tried it, you don't. You really have to experience it before you can understand what its benefits and power and limitations are. That is a very good call to action for those who are listening that are like, I was just listening to hear that I shouldn't use it in my class. <laughs> <laughs> but you did enjoy your student-based class. Are you offering it again? Oh, yes. We're offering it in um, in the fall, full B. Um, nice. No, it was a wonderful experience. Um, not only important, but it, it surpassed my expectations in terms of what the students learned and what they came away being able to do. Are you going to change anything this time that you learned yeah, from last are, time? Yeah, there are a couple of assignments that, that didn't work so well. Um, Multi-stage prompt templates was a disaster. So <laughs> 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 we're going to be changing that assignment. And then Tamara, I know that you have a little bit to plug. We've already talked about the risk reduction guide, but anything else to say as well in reference to your experience in building the generative AI course for faculty and staff at ASU? I think I'll, I'll just kind of describe it really quickly and what it was. Um, the teaching and learning with generative AI course was a way to gather um, some of the most uh, innovative uh, folks at ASU who are using generative AI effectively in their courses and experimenting with generative AI and put that expertise into one course to help faculty and staff know how to not only um, harness the power of AI, but also address issues that might arise with AI. As we said, Andrew is a, a wonderful voice throughout the modules in the course. He's almost this guiding voice. And then we have so many of our other uh, faculty experts as well as staff experts who contributed to this. And I love this part about the course. One of the things that I love about the course is that it is a catalyst uh, for other work to be able to showcase it. But also we have this wonderful uh, page that talks about accessibility related to generative AI on the university website because of this course. We have tools that are ASU created that have passed our VTRES security review process that leveraged the powers of ChatGPT that uh, were created uh, and showcased. Uh, they weren't created because of this course, but they were showcased. We've got wonderful syllabus statements. Would you mind naming what those are, by the way? Sorry to interrupt oh. you, but those are really great tools. What what are those tools that were shared? Those are incredible. We've got the ClipGist, which takes the transcripts of a video and um summarizes it and actually 
asks questions. So if you have an interactive video tool and you want to, uh, you want to quickly make some interactive questions for your video to pause and talk to students and assess where they're at. Um, and then we have the question pool generator, which takes a either uh, your learning objectives for the module or a question stem. And it, treat, it generates anywhere from five to 30 questions with uh, anywhere from two to five or six responses. And it sends it over to faculty or whoever used the tool in a PDF so that they can look at those and use those to um, refine, revise, start again. But it, it, it's a wonderful way to get ideas um, it's actually a great way to combat the issues with academic integrity, isn't it? Because we notice a lot of uh, the questions that are asked in courses end up on Chegg or Course Hero or something like that. And so it's hard to continually update your questions. So you are assessing knowledge and not if someone can find the answers online. But this is a nice way to harness the power of generative AI. So I'm really excited about that. And one thing I... I I wanted to tell you guys about an exciting fun fact about this course. <laughs> so we have right now we have, uh, uh, I think I already mentioned, we have about 624. And when I was looking at it, the 625th person was added, which was wonderful to see the numbers go up. But in the first day of the course launch, we had uh, 3,460 page views. So people were in it wow. and experimenting. I know I'd never seen a number that high in any course that people were excited about going through it. So hopefully there's a, a lot of benefit and it, it's, it is riding on the shoulders of people who have already done this work. Like I said, Andrew Maynard and so many of the other people who are experts in this generative AI course as well. And while this course is only available for ASU faculty and staff, um, we will still put the link in the show notes because if you're listening to this from ASU, that'll be an easy way for you to get into the course if you haven't already or to go back into it if you started to get into it and then got distracted by the start of the session, which is normal um, because there's a lot of great content. You were saying the syllabus. I think you're going to give me some other parts of it. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on reference to that course? Oh, uh so many things came out of this, which was really exciting. Yeah, the syllabus statements were wonderful. Oh, actually, Mary, you you developed kind of an innovative solution at ASU with using Inscribe to develop a, a community where we well, can... I didn't develop that, but I definitely put things in there for the course. But that, this is the <laughs> you learning experience team that created that, team. that space. <laughs> you <laughs> well, were, I'm happy to do the work where I can. You were fantastic. But the, the Inscribe community is awesome. It is a great place to share and to learn. So in the course, there are many opportunities to share your artifacts with the, the community of ASU. That's actually how I found Mary Ann's is because I'm a lurker in all spaces. And I saw her artifact get posted there. So if you have any interest in how could I use this, what does that look like when other people interact with it? There's a lot of opportunity to lurk. You don't have to do anything other than lurk. You could be like me and just watch people from the outside. Yeah, my yeah. my imposter syndrome is waning just enough for me to actually follow some. <laughs> so I do have the LibGuide that has some basics on um, citing generative AI, etc. Um, and it's growing. Another resource is the prompt engineering, like having some templates. But I just wanted to plug, I have wonderful colleagues. Uh, one of the things I've done in this class and uh, Dr. Maynard's class was to really practice and look beyond my own, like, the students that I work with. And so I worked with some of the health sciences students to create a specific template for the health sciences that would lead students through the 
the design of a PICO method question. Awesome. So please do feel free to reach out to your librarians. I'm happy to work with you if you're looking to see how can ChatGPT or generative AI be used in the research process that doesn't equate to finding sources that gets them to the place where they can start jumping into academic sources. The librarians are here for you and I'm happy to collaborate. So there you go. A wide world. <laughs> ASU, you're very supported. You have lots of great experts here at your fingertips. Don't be afraid. Jump right in. Get curious. And if you're not from ASU, a lot of the resources we're sharing are still viewable to you. And Andrew's Substack is absolutely viewable to you. So go visit that. There's lots of great material there. Um, and thank you again for coming and talking through this experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great conversation. Such great experts in the room here. Truly. And so we decided to ask them to stay here because Liz has got a scheme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So I am working on um, a little bit of a side project. I thought it could be a fun side project to trick my loving in-laws or soon to be in-laws into thinking I know something about football. Right. Integrity is now out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Which you also call sports ball. Sports ball. Just to I, set the tone. Okay. I know nothing about football except that uh, Larry Fitzgerald was my hero until he retired. I drafted him for my team, but he retired. So he got me zero points that season. <laughs> so what I decided to do as a part of my little scheme, and I think it's really relevant to the conversation we've had about prompt engineering, because I need some help on prompt engineering for... I'm going to use ChatGPT to draft and run my fantasy football team this season and hopefully get some points and show my future husband's family that I know something about football. So I can tell you a little bit about what I've done. I've basically gone to ChatGPT and I've given it some, I've, what I've started doing is asking you questions like, can you help me with this? And then it will give me a response and then it will tell me, yeah, I can help you with this if you give me ABC information. But like, what would your be advice for like prompt engineering for something like fantasy football? Or are there things that I should be keeping an eye out for? In terms of accuracy, when I'm working Boy. with my... <laughs> I, yeah, I, yes, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> so, so your biggest challenge is that ChatGPT A knows nothing about football and it knows nothing beyond when is it? Um, September 2021. Yeah. yeah. So so anything after that is a problem. Oh. However, I think it can help you begin to to formulate your approach to things. So you can a, you can first of all ask it general questions about what sort of characteristics should you be looking for as you put your fantasy team together. You can even give it basic information about the sorts of people you're interested in. So you can sort of create notes about potential players and upload them and say, hey, what do you think about this team? So now it begins to look like a conversation where you give ChatGPT information. You may not know what you're doing, but at least you can put notes together and it'll help you sort through those and make some sort of sense of them. Okay. So how can I con my in-laws is not a good prompt for... <laughs> well, you know, knowing ChatGPT, it will probably start off by saying that that is not a good idea. Yeah, it is a very you. moral machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's disappointing. I'm, like, you it's illegal. <laughs> I'm trying to cheat at this fake game and it's not going to help me. One of my neat tricks that I like to do with things is I like to leverage plugins in GPT-4 
and I like to use PDFs. And I discovered this because uh, we have a lot of board games that we play in our family, and there's always a, a little bit of a, a conversation, a heated discussion about which rules somebody broke or which <laughs> rules somebody used. So what we did is we took our board game rules and we put it in a PDF and we used the ChatGPT for PDF plugin to uh, say, uh, here's a PDF, remember these rules, and we're going to ask you questions about the rules, and then it references that PDF. So you could do something similar to what Andrew was saying. You could put the stats for key players for last season in a PDF, use the ChatGBT for PDF plugin, and then you could say, based off of the information in this PDF, which are the top players according to this, which would be a balanced team according to that, and which should be my first, second, and third picks and why. And if you want to really trick your in-laws, that's probably the best way to do that because you can say, well, actually, in the third quarter of last season, so-and-so did this and he had this number of losses. But I would say he's only a second round pick. That would impress them. So absolutely. I love that you're yeah. using it as a gaming referee. <laughs> this is a, a really good. This is really good because I've already asked it like, who should I? It's given me some advice on like a strategy for drafting. Our draft is actually tomorrow night. So I'm going to have to do some research and mm. some uploading today. Got some chatting to so do. It's good to know that it, the, it only goes back so far because it has already given me some thoughts on who my first pick should be. <laughs> and I do get first pick because I was the big loser last year. So I get to pick first this year. Maybe then Google, have they retired? Yes. Honestly, yes. honestly <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the biggest disappointment of like two years ago. <laughs> so, I think if I were trying to trick my in-laws, what I would do is also have it chat GPT quiz me to see what my knowledge is so that I can respond Ooh. quickly. Mm. Yes. Yes. Right. So yeah. Yeah. My plan was to, to have my laptop open with one window with the draft <laughs> information and another window with chat GPT. And I was just going to feed it. So here's who's been taken. Who should I pick next based on these players being taken? But I'll have to upload like an entire roster for this year. It sounds like if it doesn't, Right. If it doesn't work for 2023. But actually, that, that's not too difficult to do. I mean, the information in that PDF or whatever you upload doesn't have to be perfect because it can make sense of it. You just need the information there. This is great news. So um, I'm trying to keep this a secret from the in-laws and have them be surprised <laughs> that suddenly I'm a, a whiz at fantasy football. Uh, they've already been making fun of me with memes in our family chat about how I'm terrible at picking people. I pick based off of fun names. I don't know anything about their stats, but I like, like, oh, that's a fun name. Just whatever you do, don't put money down on this. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> All right, Mary, if anybody wants to chastise Liz, how can they reach us? Well, they can reach out to Stories at asu.edu. Come to Teach Online. We'll post Liz's football draft team. Yeah, we'll so keep you, you updated also throughout judge the season. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'd love to get an update. In fact, if you want to publish your conversation, we can also put that on there because that's how easy it is to share these things. Like, There's a link that you can go to people's conversations and see what these uh, students, faculty, Liz, our producer, are doing with ChatGPT. That's good to know. Plus, I, I'm going to try to record some of this on TikTok as like a little uh, diary entry for my experiences. I thought it'd be a really fun way to explore ChatGPT, explore prompt engineering, and maybe hopefully come up with some great ways for people to use it in the future for, for good or for evil in my case. <laughs> 
you might have just done some work for anybody else. If you share that link, they can build on your link and create their own fantasy football teams, too. Oh, yeah. You're Prometheus bringing down the fire. And- <laughs> just I'm going to one by one. I'm going to take down fantasy football. <laughs> Two years of being embarrassed. Just and I'm gonna burn take the, whole the thing ethics down. module first. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Core Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at corestories at asu.edu. Core Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media team at EdPlus at Arizona State University. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your core story and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.